Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I'm the Inflation Guy, and I'm your host. And today, we have episode 50 of the Inflation Guy podcast, and I'm going to return to money velocity because we had data out today for the fourth quarter of 2022, and uh, and there was there was a significant move higher in money velocity, and I'm, I'll get to that in a bit and talk about um, sort of the implications that we should take away, the practical implications for what this means. Uh, but I want to talk about this because it's sort of become de rigueur among certain bond bulls to point uh, at the massive drop that we had in money velocity that coincided with the massive increase in M2 during the COVID crisis response. And those those bond bulls say that vo- velocity is permanently impaired. And so the velocity plunged and it's never going to come back. And so, um, you know, it was it successfully blunted the importance of the massive rise in money um, but we don't have to worry about about that ever coming back. You know, the massive rise in money um, uh, has been successfully blunted. We don't have to worry about it from from now on. And this is obviously crucial to the to the case for lower inflation uh, because that that case basically boils down to you know money growth uh, has has rapidly decelerated. It's been negative over the last, actually, I think it's negative over the last 12 months now. Um, but, uh, but for a while, it's been flat to negative, And so therefore, inflation will fall. And, um, and that's only true, though, if the sharp fall that we had in velocity is not reflected in now having a sharp rise in velocity at, at the same time that the sharp rise in money is being mirrored by insufficient money growth or, or money supply decline. So if 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 money, you know, that spiked now comes back and velocity plunged but doesn't come back, then that's the case for uh, why we had some inflation but not as much as the money supply spike would suggest. And, and but now we're going to have disinflation or or some people even say deflation. And to believe that, though, to believe that money velocity plunged and then isn't going to come back, you have to believe that velocity declined for a, a uh, you know, a permanent reason. Um, but it didn't, and, and that's the the bottom line here. That's that's not how velocity works. Um, as I said, I I spoke. I had an episode, uh, episode 10 was about money velocity and episode 34 in this, uh, in this podcast uh, also talked about how money velocity had turned higher um, last summer. Um, at the time, it was just sort of a, the beginning of a turn higher. Um, but, uh, but in this quarter, the quarter just completed, the fourth quarter of 2022, uh, money, uh, the velocity of M2 rose at an 11.4% annualized rate, and uh, which means it went up 7.3% uh, for for the whole year, and um, and that happened naturally because we had you know money supply down, 
while we had uh, fourth quarter growth, real growth Q that was positive and, and, and obviously an increase in prices as well. So your PQ side of things was quite positive for the fourth quarter and M declined. And since velocity is, a, is, is essentially a plug number, it means velocity had to go up a lot to balance the left side of, of that equation, the MVPQ equation. Um, and, um, and essentially, so what's really happening with velocity and the reason that velocity sort of had to come back, you know, obviously is it's a plug number, but, but here's, here's the bottom line story of why velocity plunged. Okay. It wasn't any permanent impairment, um, but you need to think here's, you, you should think about it this way. Um, you have a rapid moving variable in, in the money supply, which spiked all of a sudden, and you have a slower moving variable, which is prices, because it takes time for people to change prices and for that price change to be picked up in the survey measures, uh, at the BLS and so on. And so that's sort of like you have an automobile attached to a trailer, but instead of having a sort of a fixed rig that, that is attached to the trailer, you have a spring. And so as the car moves away, the car goes into gear and starts to pull away, um, it's moving faster than the trailer, and so the, the spring stretches, and eventually and the trailer starts to move and eventually comes along. And as long as the car doesn't fully, doesn't continue to accelerate forever, eventually that spring will will compress again and the trailer will will catch up. Um, in, in fact, you know, actually that analogy is 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 so apt in this case, I wonder if you can't model uh, the whole the whole situation with a K constant like you would with uh, with spring physics. But um, you know, because the analogy is very good. That's that's essentially what's happening is that, you know, money supply went zooming away. And, and prices came along, but they came along more slowly. And so now the car is sort of, sort of decelerating and, uh, and the, the trailer, that is prices, is catching up. The, 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 the spring, which is money velocity, is starting to kind of you know, go back the other direction. Um, so it's best to sort of think about this. And I mentioned this in, in the other... Uh, the times that I've talked about velocity, it's best to sort of think about this as being caused by, if you have to think about it in terms of a cause, um, you know, obviously it's mainly a quantitative thing that sort of has to happen because we have two variables that are moving at two different uh, uh, paces. But, but it's best to sort of think about that as being caused by a precautionary demand for cash, which is kind of what happened, right? So during the crisis, the, the, um, the government dumped you know, tons and tons of, uh, of cash into everybody's accounts, and it wasn't spent immediately. It took some time to sort of spend it. So why wasn't it spent immediately? Well, part of it was people had to figure out what to spend it on, but part of it was it was a scary time. And so people figured, well, maybe I'll hang on to this a little while, or maybe I'll use it to pay off, you know, some, some debts or, or whatever. And it took a while for it to actually move into uh, it's actually be be spent until people's uh, financial situation got stressed enough that they had to go dip into the money that they swore they were going to save or what have you, um, and and so that's kind of 
you know, the way I, I model that, the way I have modeled this is is a, a precautionary demand or a, a, a demand based on sort of fear and concern about things. Um, uh, but the real reason is that, you know, this happened so fast, the money was flushed so fast into the system that there just was no way that prices could could really respond that quickly. Um, now, the bottom line here is that velocity is not permanently impaired. In, in fact, it should rise with interest rates um, as interest rates go up. Um, and, and that is, in fact, kind of what's happening, although I think most of what we're seeing is, is this decline in the precautionary demand. Uh, but, but some of it is that with higher interest rates, there are more opportunities to do, to do something other than hold cash, you know, earning zero. There's some opportunities to to take that away from cash and and true cash balances and checking balances and stuff and putting them put it into you know more uh, term deposits and stuff like that, and that means that um, velocity is going to come back and it is, and that means that prices will eventually have to catch up with the car right the trailer eventually has to catch up with the car. Money supply has risen since the beginning of this crisis something around forty percent. Which means that prices are going to have to go up something in that neighborhood. Actually, prices should go up if 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 velocity was unchanged over the entire length of this period and money supply only went up forty percent, then that means that that PQ should go up forty percent, which means that really we have to if you want to know how much prices are going to go up, you have to divide the increase in money supply, that's forty percent by the increase in GDP, whatever that turns out to be. So if GDP is up 10%, then we need to see prices up an aggregate of 30-ish uh, or so. Um, and, and so that's, that's sort of where I think we're eventually going to go. And, and, and so what's the takeaway? You know, what, what, what does that mean and what should you sort of do about it? The important takeaway is that while we are past peak inflation for now, uh, there's no sign that we're going to crash back to 2% anytime soon. Um, you know, over if, in fact, money velocity had not initially plunged, if velocity had been flat through this whole period, then I would, I would be looking at the decline in the money supply growth going down to zero and even negative. And I would say, look, we should be, you know, inflation should be coming down hard here. It should be going negative. The problem is that we still haven't had the rise in prices uh, that you would have expected from the initial rise in money. And where that shows up is that velocity plunged and hasn't come all the way back. You know, over the long haul, the level of prices, as I said, is closely related to the level of M2 uh, over GDP. Um, and that's just a consequence of the algebra of MV equals PQ. So since 1990, that well, so let's just go back further. So if you go from like, 1959 to 1991, about 32 years, that relationship was super tight. Um, M2 over that time period roughly tripled. It was up 286%, sorry, roughly quadrupled. And the, the um, or M2, I'm sorry, M2 divided by GDP was up 286%. And the GDP deflator was up 303%. So they both roughly quadrupled over that time frame. Since 1990, that tight relationship has been less tight which has shown up as a lot of velocity volatility. Now, you know, this is not irrelevant volatility. It, it um, you know, 
some of it is because there's a changing definition of money. You know, M2 and M1 have kind of become blurred over time. Some of the, that volatility is, is an error in measuring nominal GDP. Um, some of it, and maybe most of it, is excessive Fed activism on interest rate management, you know, pushing interest rates, for example, artificially too low since the global financial crisis, which artificially depressed money velocity and so on. But the basic relationship over a long period of time is still there. Um, and there are people out there who who sort of adjust money supply in certain ways to get a better fit. And I'm just, I'm just not super comfortable that I know exactly the right way to do that. I'm sort of looking at, at the big picture here. And I know if if M2 divided by GDP goes up a lot, then we should have prices go up a lot. Um, but anyway, the bottom line is that inflation is not going to crash back down. We still have a lot of potential energy in the system that is pushing prices higher. Um, and that means that market expectations of that, of inflation, are, are too low. Right now, the inflation swaps market is pricing that by June... Uh, we'll have year-on-year inflation back to uh, 2.16%, um, which is would just be an amazing crash back down without gasoline plunging back down. That would be truly, truly amazing. Um, and 10-year inflation expectations as measured by break-evens, the difference between t- between 10-year nominal treasuries and 10-year tips, difference in those yields, is 2.3% right now as I, as I talk. Um, that's just crazy. Those, those expectations are just too low unless velocity is permanently impaired. And what that means practically for you, the investor, um, is that if anything, you should, you should be overweight still. Inflation hedges, even though inflation is coming down from its recent peak. Um, at the very least, you should be no worse than flat. You shouldn't be short inflation here. You probably should be in inflation-linked bonds still rather than nominal bonds. And there are a couple of different reasons for that. But one of them is that right now, inflation-linked bonds or the nominal bond market is pricing inflation way too cheaply. And so inflation-linked bonds will give you actual inflation, and it's likely to be higher than what's being priced in the nominal bond market. Real estate, commodities, all these things which are classic inflation hedges are, are, are probably still good here even though inflation is coming down. You know, in general, equities are not good in that kind of circumstance. But if you're going to be in equities, and everyone tends to hold some equities, then, you know, you should look for firms with pricing power. Now, what what does that mean? Hell if I know what firms with pricing power means exactly. Um, uh, you, You know, everyone thinks they have pricing power until they don't, and they think they don't have it until they try it and discover that they do, right? And now, right now, firms... All kinds of firms do have power to raise prices, and many of them are raising prices. And so it's hard to tell which ones are the ones that will be able to keep raising prices um, to keep up with sort of the the input cost pressure, largely wages, um, that they're going to continue to have here going forward. And you know, which companies have the ability to sort of stay ahead of that? I'd say in general, you're going to look at firms that have a lower labor content, um, because again, you know, commodity prices have come down or, or they're going up less fast, I guess, you know, raw goods prices and, and, uh, uh, intermediate good prices are going up less fast. And, um, but 
um, but labor, you know, labor rates continue to to rise rapidly and, and probably will for some time. Um, I think firms with domestic supply chains are probably better off, or at least North American supply chains are probably better off than than ones with long international supply chains. You know, I think that maybe something like apartment REITs could be interesting, um, especially because everybody was so convinced that uh, that real estate was going to collapse, and it's clearly not uh, collapsing. And um, uh, so something like, you know, and so rents is something that tends to keep up with wages, tends to pace wages over time. And maybe they've, maybe rents have, have gotten a little bit of a head, ahead of themselves. But I, I think that the decline or the deceleration in rents is probably already kind of priced into those markets. But um, as always, by the way, podcast musings should not be construed as recommendations. Um, you know, I um, I try to avoid mentioning specific tickers all the time um, because I'm an advisor and that gets sticky, you know, because if you recommend, you know, Tesla, you have to then give all the reasons why Tesla might go down and, you know, you have to, there's all kinds of, of rules about that. So it just makes sense to not, um, you know, I, I try not to spend a lot of time recommending specific securities, but, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can always become a client um, and we can talk all about it or you can, you can send me email at, um, uh, at inflation guy at enduringinvestments.com Um and uh, we can we can have some conversations about that. But um, but the bottom line is that you shouldn't be letting your guard down now. Money velocity has now started to come, has been coming back for a while. It's starting to come back more seriously. Um, even though money supply is declining or flat to declining, it does not mean that inflation is going to plunge back to 2% because we have this potential energy that's still working its way through the system. Um, and there's no sign that velocity is permanently impaired. So, so uh, don't let your guard down. Uh, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.